Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. On today's program, we'll see how our Christian life is like a marathon requiring diligence, endurance, and laying aside distractions. Our path may get bumpy, but we have the promise of God's strength and power as we run the race He set for us. Here is part one of Cheryl's message titled, The Faith Marathon. So I went to buy a pair of running shoes and the salesperson said, are you going to run a marathon? And I said, no, never. And he said, why not? He said, one my age. And he said, well, why else? And I said, there is so much discipline involved. Uh, It takes full dedication. It takes setting goals, pursuing those goals, moving beyond those goals, and it means amending my diet. And it means being uncomfortable and getting up earlier in the morning. And no, I'm not running any marathon. I just want a pair of comfortable shoes to take my dog for a walk. But then he began to tell me his own inspirational story. He says, I was just like you. (laughs) I don't think so. And he said, no, I I started out, I was just going to take walks. And then I just started pushing myself just a little bit, a little bit more each day. I amended my diet. I set these goals, little goals, and then I pursued them. And then he said, I put posters on my walls of of different people who had uh, run races. And I started learning about people who did marathons and what they ate and what their diet was like. And I began to copy their strategies. And I became a runner. And I just won a marathon. And I said, that is amazing. But that's you. But that is amazing. There's a woman in our church. She's absolutely gorgeous. She's in her 60s. And she won the um, over 60 marathon, the half marathon at Disney. So when I see her, I'm just like, there she is. We were going to Beach Fest uh, one year. Brian and I, we were riding our bikes to Beach Fest. And we saw her, and she kept pace with us as we were riding our bikes. And I mean, she's just amazing. And, and she's inspirational, absolutely inspirational. You know, we've all heard that phrase as we get older, use it or lose it. And I try to keep to a minimum of exercise. And my son-in-law gave me a routine to do every day. And the reason I do weights is because I heard that lifting weights can keep you from Alzheimer's. And that's one of my fears is dementia or Alzheimer's. And I read this article about balancing and then doing weights and the repetition. So I said, okay, Michael, give me a routine. So he says, okay, mom. I want you to get five pound weights. I'm like, okay, five pound weights. So I went to TJ Maxx, got my five pound weights. And he said, get a kettlebell, you know, kettlebell that weighs 15 pounds. And so I did. And then he gave me a routine. And I was like, 
This is not going to work. So I went back to TJ Maxx, and I got two-pound weights, and I got a five-pound kettlebell. I figure start small and work up. And I am. I'm working up. I'm on three-pound weights now. But I have found that you've got to keep, keep doing it. And I know it's paying off because the other day, I came downstairs in my pajamas. I had a friend over from Austria, and she looked at me, and she turned, and she said, oh, I want to look just like Cheryl when I'm old. So there you go. <laughs> it's working. The author of Hebrews uses the analogy of a race to describe the life of faith. Now, you've got to remember that these Hebrews were discouraged. That's why this epistle is being written. They're discouraged. They've been persecuted. They've been ostracized. And there is this idea, this concept that is beginning to take force among them that if they just return to the law or if they just return to the rituals or just return to the temple practices and the feasts, that they'll be accepted again and, and they can just kind of have Jesus and the law, Jesus and the rituals. And the author of Hebrews is warning them that they must go forward in faith in the work of Christ alone. That that's where the power is. That's where the strength is. And so in chapter 11, he has listed all these heroes and heroines of faith. These people that accomplished the extraordinary simply by looking to God, simply by obedience to God. Now, as he comes into chapter 12, he describes it like a marathon. And he says, it's, in a, you know, it's like putting pictures on the wall of all your heroes, all the people that have run the race and won. And we are aware of their handicaps that they overcame. We study their strategies. We avoid their mistakes and follies. And we use their stories to inspire us. And we are willing to remove, like these in the posters, those encumbrances, those snares and hindrances to our progress. And for some of them, it might be alcohol. I know that marathon runners do not drink. You avoid parties because they weigh you down. Bad company, distractions, drugs, illicit activity. You want to keep your record so clean so you can qualify for the marathon, so you can run your best. So the coach is the hero. You put yourself 100% under the tutelage of your coach. Why? Because he already won the medal. He's already done everything he's going to require you to do. He has experience. He has hit the goal. He knows exactly what is needed to win and to run in the race. And he has designed a special regimen or routine for you so you can qualify, so you can run, so you can win. There's discipline involved. The coach will make sure that our diet is spot on. He will ensure that we are getting the proper amount of sleep. He's going to push us a little harder each time by increasing 
the length of the course, by lengthening the exercise time, and he adds a bit more weight to our routine each time, more repetitions, and different exercises that we haven't done before. He praises our strength, he corrects our attitude, and he corrects the way we exercise to keep us from getting hurt. I have this video of stretches that I bought, and I was doing the stretches, and Brian comes in, and there's one where you're, you know, you're just kind of resting in this one stretch. And he, he comes in, and he looks at my computer screen, and he looks at me, and he says, do you think you look like her? I said, well, that's my hope. He goes, there's not even a similarity. You need to look at her again and then try it. You know, she's out a little bit. So he gets down on the ground and said, she's more like this. You know, move your hands out, do this. I'm like, okay, as long as you'll do this with me every day, I will do it. But you know, doing something the wrong way can dislocate something. Have you done that? I have a friend and she told me that she stays in really good shape by doing push-ups every day. And she said, when I'm on the road and I can't do anything, I do push-ups. So I started doing push-ups and I froze my shoulder. And I remember going to the chiropractor and she looked at me and she said, mm, over 40 and trying to do push-ups, huh? I was like, how did you know? She said, oh, every other woman that comes in here with that problem, they tried to do push-ups. That's why they designed women's push-ups where you bend your knees. But then my dentist was saying, oh yeah, my arm's been bugging me. And I looked at him and I said, are you doing push-ups? He said, how did you know? I said, the Lord told me. <laughs> You're to stop right away. And he said, that's so funny. My brother just you know, burned out his rotor cuff doing push-ups. And he does push-ups. I said, that's why. Push-ups are a sin. They are not to be done. But you know, if you do an exercise the wrong way, you, especially when you're in the ninth year of your fifth decade, you will dislocate something. You know, it's not just a minor thing anymore when you get this old. It's like major, you know? All right, you did that. Now it's hip replacement. But we do all of these things for the goal to be able to play in the game, to be able to cooperate and learn to coordinate our activity with the other players to be able to endure, to make it through the whole marathon and to gain the victory. So Hebrews chapter 12 begins with the great cloud of witnesses. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded, since all these people that we know of have run this race, they've all received the goal. We can look at them and learn from their examples. We can learn from Abel, who gave God what God wanted by faith. We can learn from Enoch, who pleased God. Noah, who saved his family. Abraham and Sarah, who received a son of promise. Sarah, who received strength by faith to receive the promised son. Abraham, who passed the test. Isaac and Jacob, who blessed the next generation by faith. Joseph, who understood the future. Moses, parents who recognized God's anointing on their son. Moses, who made the right choices. Joshua, who brought down the walls of Jericho by faith. Rahab, who was saved from the destruction 
Barak, who defeated the enemy, and then Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. We are to study their stories. We are to be inspired by their stories. We are to relate to their deficits and their triumphs. Don't you find that when you're reading? Sometimes you'll be like, oh, I did that too, David. Totally know where you're at. Have you ever had that? Like, especially in the Psalms where he's discouraged and you're like, this is where I'm at right now. Their triumphs become our triumphs. Their deficits are deficits. We scrutinize their lives and try to avoid their follies. We imitate their strengths. And it's not an option to study these lives. It is a necessity And otherwise, we will feel isolated, we'll feel alone, we'll be filled with self-pity and say, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. But when you read the Bible characters, you're like, this is worse than my life. Have Have you ever had that? Where you're feeling sorry for yourself and then somebody else comes along and their life is so much worse? I remember... When I lived in England, sometimes I would fall into self-pity. But every year, um, a couple that we knew that was serving in the Ukraine would come through. And they would stay with us just an overnight. And then on the back, way back to the Ukraine, they would spend another night with us. Just when I got to the place of self-pity, they would come through. And I mean, their first year on the mission field, their son was hit with a kickball. And the doctors in the Ukraine told them that their son's eye had to come out. So they flew home. The second year, their daughter needed an emergency appendectomy in the Ukraine. And the fourth, uh, the third year, their youngest son dislocated his arm and broke it. I can't remember how many places, and they had to fly to the United States to have it set right. So just when you felt sorry for yourself, just when I was like, poor Cheryl, another pity biscuit for you, you poor thing. This is hard. and Nobody recognizes what a great servant you are. They would come through to spoil my party. I'm telling you, they were party spoilers. It was like, spoiler alert, here they come. And they lived in one, uh, a one-bedroom apartment. Their three kids got the bedroom, and they slept under the dining room table. And the reason they did this was to get the gospel to the Ukrainian people. They went there with teenage kids, And when they went, they had to learn a whole new language, a whole new way of life, a whole new way to shop for groceries. And they would sit down and they would just tell us some of the hardships. And I would say, that's it. I am a wimp. I am such a wimp. Lord, forgive me. That life is so much harder. This is is all you've called me to. They speak the same language, just better. I'm okay. I'm okay. But that's why we need to read the Bible and to read in these stories of these biblical characters to see the reward of faith, to relate to their deficits and their strengths, to strategize so we can run this race. The Christian walk also requires sacrifice. Jesus said, deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me. It's going to take self-denial. But what are we to deny ourselves? Well, every weight, every weight. There, there are things that we just pick up that become weight. You see those, um, how many of you have watched that hoarding program? It, okay, a few of you. It's disturbing, isn't it, Anne? It's like so disturbing. 
you know, especially when they're like, we're going to take this mildew-infested dress that's torn in tatters, and we're going to throw it away. And they're like, no, not that dress. I love that dress. You know, I wore that in 1963. Don't take it away. And you're just like, let them take it. Or we're going to throw away this used napkin. No, I got that on my first flight when I was 18 years old. It's like, no, it's used. Get rid of it. But, you know, it becomes weighted, and the people can't even walk through their house anymore because they've got so many things. They can't have company. They can't live the life that they used to live because it's just so filled with things. And they've developed an affection for junk, for junk. And we can become so weighted down that we can't get out of our house and even get into the marathon of faith that the Lord has for us. It slows down our pace and it makes it hard to run. I know of marathon runners that shave their entire bodies because they believe that even one hair on their body will slow them down. And they get the lightest weight running shoes and clothes because they don't want to feel heavy. And let me say this to you. It is hard to run in stilettos. You who are mothers might have tried that before, and you're like, you're trying to chase your kids. I remember wearing stilettos, and our Sunday school classrooms were in these buses on the grass in Vista. And I was wearing stilettos, and they kept sinking into the grass, and I was like stuck, you know? And I had this hyperactive son that liked to push people over and sit on them, kids. And so I'm trying to get to him, but I'm stuck. You know, because my heel is, and Brian came up to me and said, thank you for aerating the soil. It's great. Now we can put the seeds in. But it's hard to run in stilettos, if not impossible, but it's just as hard to run in construction boots. You just can't run because they're just too heavy. And that's what these weights are that we sometimes start collecting. Now, weights can be selfish indulgences and unedifying things, but they can be like activity, they can be objects, but they can also be attitudes. And when David was in exile from Saul, he got so angry at this man named Nabal. He was having this great big sheep shearing party and everybody knew that at a sheep shearing party, you invite the whole community. There's tons of food, tons of fun. And David and his men had protected Nabal's flocks for a whole season. And now it was sheep shearing time. And so David sent a servant to Nabal and said, we're gonna be coming to your party. Can't wait. And Nabal was so angry and he sent a message and said, don't bother. You're you're nothing. You're not important. You're like a flea. You know, I'm for Saul. Don't, Don't come to my party. David was so angry because he had invested in Nabal's flock. He had taken care of them. His men had risked their life for this flock and Nabal was not following sheep shearing party etiquette. And so David said to his men, he said, Mount up, God help me if Nabal isn't dead by tomorrow. And he came with the troops to take Nabal and the sheep sharing party down. But Abigail, Nabal's wife, heard about this. And she said to the servants, get all the food together. 
I'll go out to David. I'll pacify him. She met David with lots of food. Smart woman. In fact, she's called a wise woman. Always meet a man with food. Always meet a man with food. My mother said, if you don't have any food, just put an onion in some olive oil and get it cooking so they think there's food. <laughs> when they asked for dinner, I don't know, I'm still being imaginative, but I've got this much. But when she met David, she said to David, she reminded David of the promises of God and said to David, you don't want Nabal on your record. You don't want this weight. Someday you're going to be king and you don't want this weight. You don't want this mistake that, that you went and you avenged yourself because all of God's promises are going to come true. But this would only be a blight. Like David lost his temper. David can't be trusted. She said, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies. He shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and is appointed to you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. In other words, she was saying, David, you don't want this weight on your record. You don't want this. Weights are unedifying. They just don't help us in the race. They don't do anything for us, but slow us down. Then we're to lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. Isn't that amazing? So easily, like without effort, just traps you, just holds you, and, and you can't go on. Proverbs 14.34 says, sin is a reproach to any people. Sin is a trap that binds and holds and keeps someone back. Both weights and sins keep us from being able to advance and participate in the marathon of faith. We need, because of these weights, because of these sins, because this is a marathon, we need to put ourselves 100% under the tutelage of the great coach. He said, looking unto Jesus. This is what we need to do. How can we avoid the sins and the weights? We're going to look unto Jesus. Why? Why, Jesus? Because he is the ultimate winner. He is the ultimate champion. That word author means arpegos. It's Greek, captain, champion, winner, Initiator, the one that first won the race, the one that first ran it and won. Um, as I was studying for this, I was looking up all sorts of, you know, success stories and famous coaches. And, you know, I'm looking famous coaches. I Google everything. My son always says, that won't work. I'm like, watch this, famous coaches. And boom, it pops up. And Brian said to me, Cheryl, forget that. Just Google John Wooden. That's all you need, John Wooden. So I did. 
So John Wooden was born in 1910. He went to the University of Indiana, but when he was a young boy, he loved basketball. He played and played and had heroes. And he would love to go to games and watch his, his favorite players and what they did right and what they did wrong. When he was only six years old, he could make four out of five free throws from the free throw line, which is amazing. I played basketball in high school and college. So those free throws are like amazing. He made All-American three times at Purdue University. The author of Hebrews encourages us to lay aside the sin which is out to trap us. Sin wants to grab hold of us and keep us back from running the race and living the life God has set for us. That's why it's so important for us to be aware of sin and other hindrances. Our choices may not always be between right and wrong, but between things that may hinder or help us. If you are dealing with these things, pray and ask God for help so that you can run the race with endurance. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as we continue our series, Our Great Faith, in the book of Hebrews with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.